Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Amber Bennett, and I will be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 8 through 11. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amber, thank you for reading the scripture. We appreciate you doing that today. So we continue the series today, Hope is Here. Week one, we talked about hope for the weary, those times that we are tired. We're tired of being tired. We need some hope. We need something to get us through. And we learned about how there is always hope for the weary. We talked about hope for the broken last week, hope for those. And we talked about broken in the sense of moral brokenness that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we talked about how there is hope when we are broken through the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to talk about the hope for the underdog, which is great because we love underdog stories, right? We love reading about them in history. We love, you know, stories, well, like Abraham Lincoln. How many elections did he lose? So many more that he lost, but eventually became president. Well, the, the author, Dr. Seuss, his first manuscript was rejected 27 times. He had, after the last rejection, he was actually leaving that publisher. And he was thinking, I'm just going to go burn this and just forget this. And he ran into somebody that said, hey, our company might be interested in publishing it. And they did. 27 rejections. J.K. Rowling had things that had not been going well in life, and she's kind of scribbling on a napkin the idea of a book that became the Harry Potter series. We love these stories. We love that we love underdog stories so much that we go to movies that are underdog stories, right? Over, I mean, just so many over the years. Rudy, Rocky, Eddie the Eagle, Dodgeball, Karate Kid. I mean, there's just so many that are all about these underdogs who eventually succeeded. We love these rags-to-riches stories. They, they inspire us. They inspire us and give us hope. So we love watching those. It's just that we don't ever want to be the underdog, all right? I'm happy to watch somebody else be the underdog. I just don't want to be the underdog. But the fact is, sometimes we're in the position of being the underdog. We face things that seem like giants, insurmountable, overwhelming. We don't know what to do. Sometimes those are tangible kinds of things. I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a work situation you're trying to figure out, but it just seems overwhelming, or sometimes it's financial. Some, sometimes things have happened or decisions you've made, and all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, this is insurmountable. This is too big. There's health concerns. There's a family member who's made some bad decisions, put a lot of people into a difficult spot. Sometimes it's, it's intangibles, too, that seem like giants. Sometimes, you know, things like fear insecurity, sense of hopelessness, sadness, loneliness. 
those can certainly feel like giants as well. But for all the times that we might be an underdog, it also presents opportunities. Through this series, we've been connecting our need for hope with some of the I am statements of Jesus that all appear in the Gospel of John. Uh, The first week we talked about how Jesus uh, said, I am the bread of life, that Jesus provides what will sustain us when we're weary. I am the light of the world, we learned last week, the light of grace that forgives us and gives us new life when we're broken morally. And so today, we're going to look in the Gospel of John in the 11th chapter. Now, in the 11th chapter, it's the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. You remember Lazarus. He, uh, his sisters are Mary and Martha. And we remember Mary and Martha, especially from the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus and his entourage were traveling through, and they stopped, and they were at the house, and Mary, uh, Martha is scurrying around, getting things done, and Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. Martha gets mad. Jesus, don't you care? My sister's not helping me. Tell her to do something. And he says, well, Mary's doing the right thing here. We, we remember that story. Well, that, that's Mary and Martha. And they have a brother, Lazarus. Lazarus had grown, gotten ill, don't know what it was, but he dies. And so Jesus has gone to be with them. Jesus has gone to be with them in this time. And, he, and it's very emotional, of course. Mary and Martha are distraught. There's, there are mourners there with the family. Jesus himself wept, it says in verse 35. Highly emotional, difficult, difficult time. So the interesting thing about uh, this is that the Gospel of John, the very middle of the Gospel of John, is the 11th chapter. Or, or the, more precisely, the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The very middle of the story of raising Lazarus from the dead is verse 27. In verse 27, Martha now gets the opportunity to be the hero of the story. And she says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. That is the very center of the story. It's the very center of the Gospel of John. It is the central statement of what the Gospel of John is all about. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, coming to the world. Now, she says this to Jesus, not just out of thin air. She says it in response to something he has said to her. And it's one of those I am statements. In verse, just before that, Jesus had said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, come to the earth. That great faith and that sense of hope, even in the context of the death of Lazarus. That sad time when it seems like all hope is gone, the story is over. You are the resurrection and the life, the Messiah. This is the central point of John as well as the other Gospels, of course, that not even death is the end of the story. There is always hope that the power that we find in the resurrection of Jesus means that there's no giant we can't face. So one of the great underdog stories, of course, of the Bible is David and Goliath. Everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. Even people who never go to church know the story of David and Goliath. Even the name Goliath is synonymous with anything that is gigantic, right? Very large, huge. So we know the story of David and and Goliath. Well, just to kind of 
one piece of it I want to draw your attention to that's going to kind of frame how we look at this, and that is that when David was finally ready to go and face Goliath on the battlefield, he took a slingshot and he went to the creek and got five smooth stones. Five. Not one, not six, five. Don't know why I got that number, but kind of interesting. What are the five stones we might need to face a giant? What are the five takeaways we need to know from this scripture to know that there is hope for the underdog? So stone number one. First, have no fear. Have no fear. Richard Rohr, a Christian writer, says, and I've not gone through and verified the whole Bible, but I trust him. He says that it says in the Bible, in one form or another, have no fear or do not fear 365 times in the Bible. So for every day of the year, there is a message in the Bible, no fear, do not fear, fear not. Whatever way you want to say that, have no fear. One of the ways I've put that for a, uh, for a long time, and I've, I've said before in a message that you know, one of my number one message, uh, uh, rules to live by in life is don't panic. Whatever happens, don't panic. Panic never fixed anything. But that's just another way of saying fear. Have no fear. Fear will not solve anything. And certainly David did not have fear. When, when, the, when, when Goliath challenged the Israelite army, what did they do? They were completely afraid. They were terrified, shaking in, shaking in their boots. David did not have fear. He even, when he got there, he was kind of like, what is it with you people? Are you kidding me? Why are you so afraid? Is God not on our side? No fear. We need stone number two as well. You have to assess the giant. What is the giant exactly? What makes that giant seem so large and in charge? What is it about the giant? We need to assess the giant. In the case of Goliath, well, now Goliath... There are some differences of interpretation by scholars in terms of translating from the text to the Hebrew to the... But all scholars would agree that Goliath would have been somewhere between 6 foot 9 and 9 foot 9. I know it's kind of a big range, right? But either way, that's a big person, right? I mean, that's a large man. I mean, think NFL lineman large, Right? I mean, so um, Alejandro Villanueva uh, plays for the Ravens. He is six foot nine, weighs three hundred twenty pounds. The tallest uh, NFL lineman. Uh, right behind him is Orlando Brown Jr. plays for the Chiefs. He's six foot eight, weighs three hundred forty-five pounds. So even those guys who probably would have been smaller than Goliath. If it, I mean to think, if you had to challenge that person physically, you'd just go, no, yeah, no way, nope. I'm not going to do it. Are you kidding me? Look at that guy. So you have to assess, though, the giant, because clearly Goliath would have been an infantryman in the army. I mean, just by the, the description of his armor, of the giant spear he carried, he would have been in the infantry. There's different aspects of the military, right? There's the infantry, there's the cavalry that ride in the, on the horses or the camels or the whatever. He would have been infantry, and infantry is trained and skilled in hand-to-hand combat. Close quarters combat. So yes, if you got within arm's reach of Goliath, you're in trouble. You're not going to do well in that. Because he was trained in infantry. That was his challenge. Come, Someone come to me and fight me. 
He was dictating the terms for the Israelites. I'm a giant. The only thing I know to do is fight in close quarters, hand-to-hand combat. So come fight me on those terms. Now, he would have been slow. I know NFL linemen are pretty quick. I'm not, you know, I understand that. But he would have been pretty slow. Even his armor weighed 125 pounds. The spear weighed about 20, 25 pounds. He was loaded down with stuff. He would not have moved quickly. He could not have done that well, right? You have to assess the giant and know that giant is not going to dictate the terms by which I face that giant. So you have to assess the giant. Now you have to assess yourself, too. What do I have going on to face that giant? Well, for David, David was probably a teenager at this point. But it was accomplished, I mean, right, he was, when he was a shepherd. And a lion or a bear comes out, he, he said, I have, I have saved my sheep from the mouths of a lion and killed the lion, killed the bear. I mean, so he knew what he was doing, but he was no Goliath. If he had been in the army, he would have been in the ranks of the slinger, the ones who used slingshots. Now, what I mean by that is this was a few hundred years before archery really developed. So then eventually he had the archers in the army, right? So, so he would have had those long leather straps that you put a rock, a stone in the end of it. And even today, there are people skilled in this that can twirl that so fast that when they release the rock, it can fly at 35 meters a second at a long distance with amazing accuracy. He would have been a slinger. That's what he knew he could do. Now, remember Saul in the story, tried to put his own armor on him. Saul himself is a tall man, the Bible says. So it says, okay, if you're going to go, okay, if you want to go fight Goliath, you can't put, use my armor. In other words, you're going to have to fight him like an infantryman. And David knew, this is not me. He's like, no, I can't do it that way. I've got to do it on my own terms. I have some other skills to bring to bear on this giant. I love when uh, the, one, uh, you know, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 appears in all four Gospels. And they all, of course, say it slightly differently. I love it in the Gospel of Mark when the disciples were telling Jesus, we've got to send these people away. There's so many. This is a giant problem. How are we going to feed them? We don't have food or money to feed them. How are we going to do this? And Jesus says in verse 38 of Mark 6, he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. I love that. So what is it you do have? And he said, we have five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus said, okay, that's enough. Fed 5,000. They weren't willing to look at, didn't want to look at, thought it wouldn't work to look at what they actually had. <laughs> you have to assess what you do have. What do you have? The skills, experiences, abilities, yourself to face the giant. You have to assess your own resources. Fourth, you've got to know hope is contagious. I don't know, hope is contagious, right? I mean, when, when, when David did defeat Goliath, the Israelites, who had been terrified in hiding, of course rallied, yes! And they, they took off and chased the Philistines out of the land. It inspired them. It just, sometimes it just takes one person doing something that the rest of the people go, oh yeah, that's right. It is contagious. I mean, it just took one person 
to realize that there were people in our community that as they were trying to transition from a place of homelessness or challenged to have housing to a place where they had stable housing, they might finally get into a place to live with their children, but they didn't have furniture. And so someone said, we ought to get them furniture. Well, you think, well, there's no way we can provide furniture for all these people, right? Well, wait, there's probably people that have furniture they're not going to use anymore. What if we took that furniture and we took it to these people and helped them have adequate furnishings? So we're not the only church that does this, but once a month, we on a Saturday morning, a couple of dozen people come together for bed start, and they get furniture from families who say, we're not going to use this anymore, but it's still in good shape. Okay, we're going to take it and give it to this family who has no furniture. It takes somebody to say, we're going to face this. Somebody had to, had to realize that when we were, began working with Malvern Elementary, there's a number of families there that qualify for free meals, that kids qualify for free meals. That's fine during the school year, but what about the summer? What about the summer? Someone said, well, we, need to, we need to feed those families. So there's, there's a bunch of people get involved in helping to feed the families all through the summer, make sure those families have adequate food to get them to the beginning of the school year. Sometimes it just takes somebody saying, we can do this, but let's figure out how. And it inspires others. It is contagious. Hope is contagious. The fifth stone is really the most important one. I went back and forth. Maybe I should say this one first, but it's that God is with us. We're not alone in this. We are not alone. I mean, even when David went out to Goliath, and Goliath you know, was saying really not nice things to him and, and said, what, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? Right? And David said, I come at you in the name of the Lord our God who will give us the victory this day. I mean, he knew God was with him. It was not just him and Goliath. He knew God was with him in that endeavor. Even though her brother had died... We'll never see him again. He's gone. Martha could say to Jesus, I know you are the Messiah, the Son of God, come to the earth. I know that there is resurrection. I know that that is more powerful than even death. So Jesus' resurrection even just reminds us that it's never the end of the story. That the worst things are not the last things. That we can fight our battles. We can face those giants with the help of God. So when we celebrate communion, right? I mean, even we take, it's kind of, in a, in a sense, almost ironic. We talk about the body of Christ, the bread that is broken, the cup, the fruit of the vine that is the blood shed. <laughs> Sounds like defeat, doesn't it? Broken body, bloodshed. Sounds like defeat. Oh no. It was just an opportunity for resurrection. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to learn through and grow through our challenges. The opportunities that we have to understand resurrection and power and hope, even when we face what seem like insurmountable obstacles. We thank you that you are always with us. You have already given us abilities and skills and gifts and experiences to bring to bear on the situation, and with your help, we too can know new life. So God, we pray that we would have that contagious 
hope that comes from following Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.